welcome to the All Walks of Art podcast. And you are? Paul Ramey. Very good. The All Walks of Art podcast is a show for creatives and artists from all walks of life. Find a comfy chair, pour your favorite beverage, and enjoy the show. He's over here laughing at me. We are outside. Oh, good time. We are outside. Paul, it is good to see you. It's good to be seen. You are the, the man that some call the bottom end, even without the bass. <laughs> You've been talking to people on 2nd Street, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yes. We have an exciting show today. Do we? Yeah, we're going to talk about peer pressure, how your art needs to be about you, maybe you talk about the lottery, uh, artist lifestyle, just all kinds of fun stuff, but we are doing it outside on the deck as noisy as the highway is, and people who know me know that I'm kind of an anal person when it comes to extra noise in our recordings, so I'm going to uh, let this get the better of me. <laughs> yes. And just kind of do our thing. But we are smoking cigars. And Paul... Are we? Am yeah, I going to try yeah. this? Yeah, go ahead. So before the show started, I uh, I kind of gave Paul a little once over on how to how to do it. And he's over lighting the foot right now of his cigar. I gave him a child-sized cigar, one of those petites. You know, it's still a 50, 50 gauge. Well, that guy needs new tires. Can you hear that? Anyway, he's, uh, he's giving it a shot. He's trying. I think I made him afraid of the lighter. Just don't burn it, Paul. Because if you burn it, then it's going to taste like crap. For you, it'll probably taste like crap. make it go black. Yeah, yeah. It's black. All right. Give it a... Yeah, there you go. Just don't inhale it. (laughs) (laughs) You inhaled it. (laughs) So, speaking of peer pressure, I I had to peer pressure you into this because... Yeah, I don't smoke. Yeah. I wanted to see what you did. Never had one of these. Yeah. Now, there, there will be a nicotine buzz, so just keep that in mind, okay? And the drinks we have today... Indubly. I'm, I'm calling, you think it's probably not a good name. What is it? But I'm calling it a Mexican, Mike's Mexican Standoff, because it's got three liquors in it, and two of them are technically Mexican. This is kind of big for me, and it I'm is, driving, so. Well, it's, uh, you've got about 10 ounces of 7-Up in it for yours, oh. so yours is mostly 7-Up. This is kind of neat. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard for us to do this because I usually don't talk and smoke at the same time. I'm usually sitting, just enjoying it. Mine's already burning, kind of stupid. But you know, well, you see the people things do we this do. Kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of neat. There's an art to how these rollers have yeah. been doing. It. A lot of them do it generation to generation. Absolutely. I think uh, I think there's a great art to it. Really, there's there's a lot to it. Hand rolled cigars have you know uh, the filler goes pretty much the whole way. It's like large leaf, and then the outside is a is a leaf made mainly for uh, appearance and for uh, a little bit of flavor and smell. But the, the real flavor comes from the inside. It's just tobacco, though? Yeah, it's just tobacco. This is, uh, see, your, mine's Dominican Republic tobacco. Yours is Nicaraguan tobacco. Uh, yours is a Monte Cristo Petite. The uh, Count? It's actually based on the book, The Count of Monte Cristo. That's where they got the name. Huh, uh, well. Mine is a Gurkha. I can't remember which... Which one? It really doesn't matter. I know people aren't really listening for the for the commentary on what we're having, but uh, the drink, Mike's Mexican Standoff. There is a drink called the Mexican Standoff, and I didn't want to make that one. I wanted to make one that I had stuff for. Right. So I, I, I'm not going to throw away all the uh, the tips on how much, but it's you know you want one third alcohol, two thirds Seven Up. That's kind of the the ratio. So whatever you want to mix. Is your thing so I'm, I'm going with uh, white tequila, silver tequila. That's my preference. Yeah. What kind? 
Uh, I'm going with 1,800 on this one. Oh, my God. 1,800 knocks me on my ass. Does it really? Oh, yeah. This will be funny. Um, triple sec for a little bit of an orange citrusy hint in it. And um, then I have uh, dark rum in it. So imagine a guy from, I don't know, the Caribbean showing up, and there's two Mexican guys that want to just, you know, have a Mexican standoff. All right, so let that, me try that's this. That's kind of the idea. So he's, he's, drink, he's drinking his out of a glass. Looks like a little mug. That ain't bad. What's the other thing? Say triple sec. Triple sec. What is that? Oh my god, that's a great sound. Did you hear that? The bikes. <laughs> it's triple sec, tequila, and rum, with Seven Up, and there's a there's a dash of uh, vanilla. What kind of vanilla? Just extract. You dropped the dropped in there. Yeah, yeah. Put a cap of it in there. This ain't bad. You know, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's... you've turned me into. A, I want some month alcoholic, but it's still too much for me. But is it boozy to you at all? Because I've already had two of them, tested them out. <laughs> no, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty good. I don't. It don't really taste alcoholic to me. Just a, a hint yeah. of an after, but yeah, your cigar is going to go out. You you don't. I want can't it. help that. You don't want it, do you? That was an, that was interesting, but I'm not going to sit here and puff on that one. I'm trying yeah. to talk. I do it. I can't. I, I'm doing it. I'm afraid it's going to creep into my lungs and I won't be able to go, yeah. Oh, no, it, it won't hurt you. You don't know that. It'll make you sound. You're not a doctor. You'll be more like Brian Johnson. Have a drink on me. <laughs> I can't do it. So what are we talking about today? We're, we're talking about peer pressure. Now that I get you peer pressured into smoking a cigar that you're not smoking, I'm, I'm going I'm to get on your case a little it. bit. You tried it. I tried it, to tip. But it, you got to wait till it actually gets a good burn going. I, that's you're just shaking, you're shaking that's your head. That's too much work. No, I ain't going to do it. No, come on. Just do it. See, this is the peer pressure part. And you got the sun in your face. I'll, <laughs> I'll try to burn it here and again in a minute. Well, it's giving me a little bit of a, you know. Not already. Yeah, I feel. No. I'm very susceptible to fumes. I'm just over here puffing away like Joe Rogan. No, there's no DMT in it, I promise. Are you still there? Because <laughs> we're just kind of. We're this, just having a conversation. I'm going to be honest with you. He peer pressured me into doing this today because I was all prepared to do it tomorrow. So this afternoon I was going to work on the show, but instead I decided I was going to have to hurry up and get everything out here and just play with a, a topic. I and, peer and pressured we you by saying, it. hey, if you want to do it today, we can. Yeah, I'm easy. It's no big deal. Tomorrow is still fine. I can't help it. It sounded like a better deal. It sounded like fun. So, So last night... They were doing a, they were doing a mosh pit, and it wasn't like I've seen a lot more violent ones. I was at the Black Dahlia Murder Show. I was there to see a band called Rivers and Neil. Yeah, they have a saxophone player. It's crazy. They're a really unique band. But anyway, when one of the bands was playing, they had a circle pit going, and it was one of the fastest ones I've ever seen. I mean, they were really moving. And then at one point, a guy puts on boxing gloves. And then throws another set of boxing gloves in the middle of the pit, and it runs in there and just starts blasting people. <laughs> it was awesome. What's the point in that? I don't know, but it was cool. I, I, I don't like guys that get in there and purposely try to bully people or push people down. Usually those people get, get taken care of pretty quick. But uh, this guy, I don't know. It just didn't come off as like a malicious thing. It was just, it was cool. He was wanting a box. I don't know, but I never, in 40 plus years of going to shows, I've never seen anything like it. 
But it was good. It was good to see, you know, those extreme bands that were not mainstream. And yeah, uh, it was a sold out show. It was really cool. Had a really good time. How was the Megadeth show? Oh, that was a couple weeks. That was good. Yeah. I'd never been to uh, the PNC Pavilion down in uh, Cincinnati before. Trivium played. We missed Hate Breed because Ryan had to stop and get a cheeseburger. Made us late. Mm. Pissed me off. But uh, well. Trivium was really good. Uh, Lamb of God was really good. Uh, and Megadeth was really good. They had kind of elaborate stage shows I was kind of surprised about. Yeah. But uh, Chris Broderick's not playing guitar anymore. No, right? it's uh, Kiki, Kiko Lori, I think is his last name. And Dave Ellison, obviously, wasn't No, there. they had uh, James Lomenzo, who's a fine bass player and a fine person. But I just do not care for Megadeth with yeah. James. I just yeah. don't. I, I like James and Black Label and White Lion and yeah. uh, Pride and Glory. Whatever. I just don't like. I just don't. I don't like his sound. I don't like the way he plays in, in that band. I just personally, it's yeah. nothing against him. Right. I mean, he can play circles around me, um, but I just don't like, I've seen the band twice with him Yeah. and I've seen Megadeth more than any other band I've ever seen. Um, I think this, that was my sixth or seventh time seeing him and both times with James. It's just, just not, there's just something missing. Yeah. It, it's also much more the Dave Ellison solo band without, or, the right, Dave Mustaine right, right, solo right. band without Ellison, I think. What I was trying to get out before uh, my microphone started giving me shit again, I, I just I hate this. I really do. Was that peer pressure when we when we open up our social media apps, right? And you start going through the different like Instagram and uh Facebook and all those, it's easy to look at things and start to feel peer pressured into, as an artist, do what somebody else is doing. Yeah. Even though they're not peer pressuring you directly, they're not intentionally saying you suck and Just you need to do this. Just the act of them existing yes. and showing it sometimes yeah. can do that inadvertently. Yeah. And, and I think it's a bad path to go down because your art needs to be about you, right? Yeah. It just, it, you, you can't. Nobody wants to see you do what somebody else did, right. right? They have that already. Right. It's it's not about being better. It's about being different. And the argument might come up with a lot of people that says, yeah, but if everybody's doing classical realist painting, how are you different? Okay, so instead of painting, um, you know, the traditional portrait, maybe you do portraits in a way that makes people look like they're from the 1700s. Right. You know, put put their face in that. And I've seen that done. That's pretty cool. So, or even if you do something that is maybe derivative, I mean, sometimes just the perspective of how you see it can make it different enough. I mean, we've talked about it in music a, a bunch. I mean, there's only 12 chords in the 12 notes in the Western scale. I mean, every song you've ever heard on the radio has been one of 12 It's been in one of 12 keys and every note was in one of one of 12 notes. Right. No matter what, it was just how you got there. Right. The way you got there, what was behind it when you got there, how these, how two different notes from the same 12 notes work together. Right. I mean, it was played differently. Yeah. You know, that's the one thing too, that always got me when I was playing in bands before when, especially when you got 
new guitar players, they'll, they're the way they manipulate the fretboard to make the sound of the riff that they hear, you know, you can, you, you know, there's something not quite right about it. The notes might be right, but something's just not right. Yeah. And it's because the guy who originally did it played it different. Yeah. And that's that's it. I mean, it's the it same came, notes. It's just in your hands. It's just like the art. The art's not, it's not in your brush. It's not on the canvas. It's in your hands. Mm -hmm. And it's like that with music. It's like that with pretty much every, every medium there is except for photography. And then it's in your eye. It's still in your eye. Yeah. Your eye is doing it. And, yeah. And it's in your brain. But yeah. Everything else, you're touching it. You are, it's the way you're hitting it. It's the way you're going about it. It's the way you got there. It's the way you came off of there. Yep. Everything is different. No two guys play everything the same. They just don't. So that's why when there's member changes in a lot of these bands, it's, it sounds different. Just like I was talking about with James Lomenzo, it's, he was playing a lot of the stuff that Dave Ellison wrote and he's using the pick. And he's playing it, but it just doesn't, it don't sound the same to me. Right, right. It's, just, it's like a cat with claws versus one without claws. <laughs> All right, then. Well, that was the show. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, that was nice. It is a nice evening out here, though, you know, even with the loud bird and. It is. Loud highway. All that kind of stuff. That's, We're that's out here the with thing. nature, man. It's uh, fall starting to happen. Leaves are starting to change. Mm -hmm. It's a. Uh, do this, you do you feel like when the seasons change? Do you feel like that you get in a different mode artistic wise? Or yeah, yeah, I do. do you, does it? How's it change your art? Well, for me right now, the the fall and the spring are the busy months for sales. Really? Yeah, in the summer when I should be working diligently really hard to get new stuff ready it's just so nice out that i don't want to be locked up in the studio and and or by myself doing a plain air painting somewhere you know because it you know if i go do a plain air painting i might be out six eight hours and fighting the bugs and the elements and right that's not necessarily always fun for me uh i know that and we're going to kind of touch on this a minute in a, in a little bit, but in a perfect studio environment for me, I would love to have a way to walk out of my studio onto a large deck or a patio where I can work outside. You know, just, just that change. You can't do that here? Be, I can, but then it's a matter of moving things really far. If I had, what I'm picturing is a, a studio where I have maybe French doors or something I can open up pretty wide, like six feet wide, just completely open and still have my work inside, but be able to walk in and out, I got you. you know, and just enjoy the day. Because uh, to me, being an artist, you don't, I'm not cranking out work, right? I'm just not sitting there slaving over one piece, working eight hours a day, clocking in and out. That's not how it works. It might be, painting and, and taking deliberate brush strokes, stepping back and looking at it, and relaxing a little bit, and then, you know, working on some more. It doesn't make me a slow painter. It just makes me uh, kind of appreciate the process, the subject, deliberate moves, you know, 
do I need 20 brushstrokes when three will do it? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, sometimes less is more, but then sometimes more is more. That's <laughs> <laughs> the truth. And the wise words out of his mouth. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I see it that way, but I guess that, that probably brings us to another, when I mentioned the lottery. Did you know the lottery was like 600 and some million dollars this weekend? No. Did somebody win? Yeah, they they draw it tonight at 11 or 10. I guess I should have bought a ticket. Yeah, I was going to have you. Should I buy one? It's probably going to be too late. If if when you leave, you might have time. I think they stopped selling them at seven. Does it really matter to if it's 600 million or if it's 10 million? I'll take it. No, it doesn't matter. In in fact, that is something I wanted to ask you, but we're going to ask that in the rapid fire. Right. Um, I just, you know, thinking a lot, I, I always kind of dream a little bit. The wife is going to buy a ticket today and make sure that um, we have a chance to win. I guess the payout, get this, the payout <laughs> is like over $400 million. So you'd That's already- fuck you money. Yeah, it is. Um, I did the math on that. If you get like a 7% return on your investment, which would be invested after you've already paid taxes, so you can pull money out anytime you want to without paying taxes again. But if you're earning a 7% interest rate on that money, you could literally make over $2 million a month on interest on that kind of money. So your net income would be over a million. I ain't investing. I'm just buying a rocket ship. I would invest it so I could just continue to make money and never touch it. I mean, I'd touch it. I'd, I'd get in there and go, okay, what can I, what can I buy, buy for I'd buy five million? Lamborghinis and I'd only drive one. I don't even care. <laughs> well, as, a, as an artist, though, what would you do with that kind of money? Oh, my God. That was a car. He's a pizza delivery guy. Has to be. Truthfully, what I'd like to do is I would like to, if I had that kind of money, I'd like to do some things that fostered uh, art with the younger generation. Yeah. I'd like to have a. I'd like to have a big studio downtown yeah. that artists could just come and use for practice plays or photography yeah. or for art, and have different. You'd have that kind of money. You could bring different people in. You could have excursions and fly people to. Yeah. To Rome, Look, we're going to go to Rome, and do a gig and paint the Colosseum or whatever. Right. I think that'd be fun just to get a be able to finance that and nobody'd have to worry about any money. And do that kind of thing. I'd like to, uh, you know, finance schools. And, and uh, there's like a Eddie Van Halen's charity that uh, helps schools get new instruments and make sure that the music programs are funded uh, different schools. I'd like to be, I, I, would, I would love to, to be part of that. And Very selfless. You'd well, be, I mean, I would be... buy a bunch of cocaine and hookers, too. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I would. No, I mean, let, no. Oh, without no. a doubt, that's there is no uh, doubt that would happen. But then We'd you might get, then, then, get you, then you wouldn't have then you wouldn't have the desire to help everybody else. No, I would. Would you? You would, can, would you you can peer, have two thoughts in your head. Would you peer pressure them into trying the same stuff you're doing? <laughs> you're into it. I mean, I'm just saying. This I mean, show is really going it, south, Paul. <laughs> I'm just being honest. It wouldn't south be just Paul. about that. I mean. I would use that money to crush a lot of my enemies too. I mean, yeah. But I'm not going to sit here and paint myself to be like something I'm not. Yeah. Uh, but I could do that. But, you just give me a million dollars, I pay you something you're not. A million's not a lot of money though. <laughs> would you, be to you, me. 
I mean, if you put that in the bank, what, it's like 30 grand a year? You wouldn't have the money to do... Yeah. 70. I think you'd probably get 70. But you could donate some. You could be part of, on a smaller level, be part of, you know, maybe the Chilcothy schools to make sure they got instruments or they got art supplies and that kind of thing. But... Well, I'd have to do a whole series. It'd be a million for each one. Right. <laughs> I think we forget how important some of that stuff is. I mean, as a musician, yeah. I still remember some lessons that Mrs. Gibbs... Uh, taught me in eighth grade music class about songwriting. We dissected uh, a Richard Marx song, talked about uh, symbolism in the lyrics, and yeah, and uh, it's still it sticks with me today. And I yeah. wasn't a musician then; I was just uh, I played a little bit of snare drum once in a while, but I was not a musician. I had no desire to be. I wasn't playing guitar, or bass, or anything. I wasn't writing songs. I talked about this a little bit with somebody at work last night about creative curiosity, right? I think it's important that as creatives, we have some sort of curiosity. And, and, and going back to the peer pressure thing on social media, if you're looking at that, there might be a little bit of a curiosity there. It's like, what's this guy doing? What's, what's this woman doing? And, you know, you kind of go through your thing and you, you want to know how they do what they do so you can be successful or at least apparently as successful as they are. Um, but I think that curiosity also can, can foster a lot of new things. You know, I picked up a bass guitar because I was curious about notes. I wanted to be able to play it. I didn't get good at it, but I learned it and drums, you know, it became more of a, I gotta, I gotta know how to do this, but now I'm curious about how this guy plays so fast with his feet. You know, how do you do that? And, um, artistically speaking, I want to mess with gouache, you know, I want to mess with oils. I want to mess with watercolors and, right. and, and, and it's not that I want to branch off and be great at all these things. It's that I want to know what the point of each medium is for me as an artist. Yeah. So it is. Noisy. Does anybody ever uh, <laughs> do like an oil painting and do like part of it or do like the background oil and then do like watercolor? No, on part of it? No, that wouldn't work. Why wouldn't it work? Because of the drying time. Because of the what? The drying times. It just, it's not a, it's, be like painting your house uh, without priming and all kinds of things. Why can't the, you the do medium, that? Why can't you part of it? Why can't you do the lower part of it one way and the top part of it? Oh, oh I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, you could do, you could do. Uh, Mix some different scenes using. Use that to me. That seems. You know, I don't know why it just yeah. popped in my head. But. Well, mixed media, we have it. I mean, it's it's a it's an art form itself. You know, to do things like that, it just depends on the substrate too. I mean, will canvas accept watercolor? You know, not as, not as good as paper. Um, you know, and so on and so forth. You kind of just it, it's all. Uh, this, it's too much for this podcast to explain all this right here but uh, I have seen artists do large oil paintings where they left the canvas unprimed on the edges and things and they put like a splash of primer gesso primer on part of it where they painted and you could see like their sketches underneath the edges and, and they, they let things still show through and That's then uh, like a lot of my studies are done this way I'll put uh, the colors that I the main colors that I picked, that I mixed, 
I'll, I'll put little swatches of color on that particular canvas just so I can see, go back and look and go, oh yeah, that was, I used cadmium yellow there. That was clearly cadmium yellow or whatever. And uh, you can still see my pen marks and things like that. Cause a lot of times I'll use a pen to do the underdrawing. So, I mean, yeah, you, you can, and it kind of does look neat, you know, when you see it that way, cause it kind of gives the, the person who's appreciating the art kind of gives them an idea of the anatomy of the art. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? So that's, that's kind of neat, really. Does that, does that help you at all? Well, you took me down a total different way than I was going, and that was interesting, too. Let's get into last call. Are we there already? Yeah, it's been almost 30 minutes. Oh, my God. And I haven't really been drinking. I've been smoking and talking. I'm ready to eat. And I didn't eat anything at the wedding. Beating the hell out of my microphone. I got a lot of booze here to drink. Yeah, and you're going to have to finish this. I'm, I'm probably I'm, not. I'm drunk. Do you feel it? A little bit. I got a little bit of a headache from the cigar, I think. You didn't smoke that much cigar. You don't know what I ingested. I ingested enough. <laughs> well, that and you're getting my side stream smoke, so that's probably bad. Now, we can't both drink at the same time, Paul. <laughs> we can do whatever we want. All right. I mean, they don't call you dead air Mike for nothing. <laughs> that almost came out of my nose. That's what she said. Yeah. All right. Last call. Rapid fire questions. Is it last call or is it rapid fire? Both. Rapid call. It's the part of the show where I give everybody time to finish that drink and pour another one if they want to or light another cigar. That's that's the part where I Yeah, say see? That. Why are you talking like that? <laughs> it's the time, see? The time where they can pour another drink, see? Yeah, it's 1925, yeah, no, see? Know, oh, I did. Before we get into this, I did want to talk about artist lifestyle, though. I really do. I want to bring this into All right, this. bring it up. Because we talked about the the lottery we talked about peer pressure we talked about what other people are doing and and some things you had me get down but i really want to talk about have you ever sat and dreamlined about what your ideal creative life would be yeah and we kind of got into this on another show but right. this this ties in with a lot of what we're talking about here Go yeah ahead. i get to just do whatever the fuck i want whenever i want well i mean specifically and play well i it It'd be neat to do like some bands that, that don't really tour a whole lot because, but they play like big festivals over overseas or they do Vegas or they do something where people come to them. Twisted Sister was doing some stuff like that in Chicago, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, ideally, I would just get to, you know, get together with, with musicians that I want to play with once or twice a week, write and record some stuff. Mm -hmm. And then in the summer months, go and play a handful of big festivals. Yeah. And, and then, you know, maybe tour once once every couple of years and and play medium sized clubs all over the North America. I think that would be pretty badass. I mean yeah. that's yeah, I mean still, of course it'd be neat I'd I'd rather, you know, play stadiums and open for Metallica. Oh yeah. But I'm just realistically though and, and I mean that's that'd be a good that would be it. I mean that would be anything beyond that would be just icing on the cake. Yeah, I think so. For me, I mean, I like, I like it out here. I like this house. I like being here. Um, I hate it that we don't own it. We rent it, uh, and he won't sell it. <laughs> um, but that's another story altogether. There's, there's a we lot. We have ways of making them sell, <laughs> right? <laughs> there's a lot of. Uh, I mean, the house would need remodeled. It's, it's a rental, right? I mean, it's got 
rental furnishings and rental finish. You know what I'm saying? It's not like what we would really want, but I like right. the space. It's quiet. I got a cemetery beside me and I've got, you know, woods behind me and beside People me. People are dying to get in. Yeah. And the only thing we contend with is the highway out there. And it's literally, it's 300 feet from us right now. And, uh, I, I still find it peaceful, you know, I like walking outside and doing whatever, you know, mowing the grass. And I do enjoy painting outside out here. Yeah. I bring stuff out. I'll paint a tree. I'll draw a tree. I'll just sit and enjoy the nature, you know? So for me as an artist, dreamlining, I would still have something like this. I'd have a much bigger studio, you know, like in, in the case of this place here, instead of having a, I don't know, 56, 60 foot garage. I would have that, but then I have a, a studio above it that's just open. Right. You know, and I like you, I would have people over to to learn and use it if they want to and and, and I'd try to help other people and uh, continue to do the podcast. Uh, I would like to have a bar in the basement, you know, an, an actual pub, kind of a looking place where you walk in and it, it looks like a a pub and probably outdoor steps to go down to it and uh that way it's accessible from the backyard and whatever i mean i my own little retreat so to speak where i could always work and do my thing and and literally send my artwork to the galleries and let them do most of the work in that respect uh, i'm not big on shows i don't like to do the outdoor festival stuff i, I really just don't um, i know a lot of artists do well that way but it's just not not something i enjoy uh, I probably have some open studio events. If I won the lottery, it'd be a lot like this, but the garage would be uh, usable as gallery space even. Mm -hmm. So when the cars aren't in there, it's open, finished walls, nice lighting, nice floors, and I can hang up all the work, and that would be the gallery. And people can come see the, the studio and some artwork. I'd invite past clients, you know, like a private private show kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's something I think about a lot. I would urge a lot of our listeners too to think that way and, and then reverse engineer it. How can you do that? Well, you how know? can you do do that where you're at now? So these things that we talked about, what's stopping, stopping me from, from getting involved in yeah. the local school's art program or what's stopped me from getting some guys together and, and, you know, looking at a, at a studio space. I mean, yeah. nothing, really. Yeah. Yes. A lot I mean, of these I mean, things yeah. that we talk about, we don't have to have no, that kind of money to do it. Right. And, yeah, the lottery make it good, but right. for me, there's a, there's a little bit of a struggle with the lottery, too. If I were to win the lottery, then all my success came from that money, whereas I kind of like the struggle a little bit. <laughs> That's oh, part not of it. me. I would, I, you know, if I had that kind of money, I'd give Metallica nine million dollars to let me open for him. So, <laughs> uh, I don't care who knows that I bought myself on the tour. Ah, wait a little longer. They won't need that much. <laughs> I'm sorry. They like money, though. Yeah, I know. I know. So anyway, anyway, let's let's do the yeah. We'll we'll get into the last call I can taste here. This, the vanilla. this is for real. This is the last call. So make sure you uh, you finish that drink. You know, you got a little bit of time here. Seems like we're rambling, I know. But well, I'm, I'm have enjoying like that. I enjoy this show. Yeah. Again, this is this is a show where I really thank people at home, if you're listening, 
you can just sit back and enjoy one with us. Right. You know, and hopefully your mind's wandering and thinking about things just like we're talking about here, and you can do your thing. And my ultimate goal here is that you get a nice little spark of something, and you go, I'm going to do that. And off you go, you know. Right. So if you do, congratulations. I'm proud of you. All right. Last call. And we kind of answered this already. What would you do if you won that big lottery today? Yeah, that kind of money. Yeah, like I said, we'd go to we go to Venice for breakfast. Yeah. France for lunch. We do shows. Yeah. I would really, with that kind of money, you could just be ridiculous with it. I think that I think as an artist you you have to be a bit you have a, a bit of a responsibility to be socially uh responsible to a point. Um make sure you try to give back and do some stuff. But I mean, most of it I would I would just waste it. Yeah. I would waste it doing dumb shit like but but stuff that experiences it'd be, fun. It'd be about experiences. Yeah. yeah, why not? Get you know, get Led Zeppelin back together for a, a gig yeah. over here. I mean money, I would, with that kind of money? I would buy a house like this one, but I'd want probably at least a hundred acres where I could put my house back and do my thing and have a retreat like I'm talking about. But I'd then I'd a have big some castle. Rate. Fuck everybody. Yeah. Big you castle know, with a moat. Yeah, you know how many times I've thought of that here? Because we've got that nice creek out front. Yeah. It'd be so cool to build a wall across there. It looks right. like a castle with a gate at the door. You know, the 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 drive right there. The Amazon guy would have a, a thumbprint way to get in or whatever. However that ring works or whatever it is. Well, Amazon with that kind of money, is. you could have a scanner that would know it was a UPS or an Amazon truck. Yeah. And, or yeah. just a, a guardhouse guy. Well, yeah, there you you know, just somebody standing there. You shall not pass. <laughs> <laughs> Make him dress up like Gandalf. Yeah, yeah, that would exactly. be awesome. That would be cool. But that's the kind of stuff. I mean, that's, you're not talking about like just wealth. I mean, that's the kind of money you could be. Yeah. You could just literally do it. You could change people's lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would change a lot of lives on second shift. I mean, that's the thing. It'd be, it'd be nice to wipe out all your family's debt, you know, mm-hmm. any, all car payments and, and house payments and stuff yeah. is gone with that. But if you had five million dollars and you wasn't still working that money, you'd be done with that money pretty quick. All right. So how how much money would it take for you to just chuck everything you're doing right now to be an artist? To to just full time go at your dreams like we've been talking about for the entire show, you know, no peer pressure here. <laughs> But how much money would it take? Because if Lisa wins that tonight, I need to know what this number Two is. Two million after taxes. Two million after that's it. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably because I, I could I could live I could live off. I'd probably give you thirty thousand per show. Huh? I'd probably give you thirty thousand dollars per show. All right, well let's do it. That'd be sixty thousand a month. Uh, I could live on that. Because I mean, I'd have to. You have to buy your friends, right? <laughs> no, you can't. Who are you going to trust? You know, some right. new guy shows up. Hey, I'll be your buddy. You know. Yeah, that is the thing you think about that is like anybody you meet after that, it would always be suspect. Yeah. Since it's almost Halloween, because this episode's going My to come My favorite out. season. Yeah, mine too. A time when everybody becomes themselves. Artists and Yeah. And some way or another. Yeah. I think I think when we put a mask on, we become who we really are. Yeah. What is the best movie to watch this season? It could be coming out. It could be new. It could be something you, you just really enjoy. But, and, and I'm not going to say but. You just tell me the best movie for right now for what you think would be great. And it could be one that you want to make up. 
you know, we'll call Quentin Tarantino and say, hey, Inglorious Bastards was really good. But that part where the guy was drinking out of the boot and all that kind of stuff, he wouldn't be doing that. Let's make a movie. I know, went a little far there. Yeah, well, there you go. I would like to, on Halloween, I would like to watch uh, Thanksgiving. Do you remember the, the uh, Grindhouse movies? Yeah. And they had the uh, fake trailers. One of them was for Machete. They ended up making that. And <laughs> yeah. Eli Roth made one for Thanksgiving where yeah, it was like a I pilgrim remember. that was murdering everybody. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd like to watch that. That would be good. Halloween's a good movie to watch during Halloween. One yeah. of the older ones. Yeah. I think that's always a good, uh, that's a good one. Uh, There's a new one coming out. Yeah. It looks good. Yeah. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's probably my favorite Halloween movie. I really love with, the art. Uh, with Gary uh, Oldman. Old, and Old, yeah, Hopkins yeah. and Keanu. That and is a good one. The uh, imagine if they redid that now with the technology. Because no, I mean, they wouldn't. That's funny you bring that up because I was a uh, very into it. They made all the effects that was done in that movie was effects that could have been done in the time period that the movie was set in. Ooh, very really? interesting. Look it up. I did not know that. Yeah, that was Coppola's big uh, big deal. Huh. Yep. So even let's say it was at the, the dawn of a film that's like when he goes in one of the scenes he goes in there spoiler if you haven't seen this yeah. i mean the fucking movie come out in 92 right, right. but uh he goes in he sees the sun rising for the first time in however many hundreds of years because it's film it was like one of the first projector kind of things that they'd ever seen well that existed so all the practical effects was all stuff that you could have done with technology back then even the part where they got that blue flame and fountain. Mm -hmm. You could have done that with projector setups that they had back then. It was very interesting. Wow. I didn't, I didn't know all this. Yep. And then the sets, that's, it's funny because that just reminds me of another one of my favorite movies, The Cell, Jennifer Lopez. You ever seen yeah. that? Yeah. I had a hard time getting into it though. They're, uh, wow, you said Braveheart was cheesy, so that doesn't surprise me. Uh, <laughs> I'm but never going to live it. But the suits, if you they put them in these big red suits yeah. and they were kind of I remember. like corduroy yeah. looking. Well, I always noticed they look like the the suit that the suit of armor that Vlad had in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, and it's because it had the same set designer. I believe it's a Japanese uh, woman. I believe I could be wrong about that, but um, yeah. it was the same same costume designer, yeah. not yeah. set designer, but. But it's stuff like that, and I noticed the aesthetic of it really, really well. I, I think that movie, as an art form with the makeup yeah. and the costumes and yeah. the sets and the way they did the effects, um, I just I love that movie. Yeah, as a movie and then strictly as a as an art piece, I think it's amazing. Yeah, so that's a, that's a good Halloween movie to watch. I I'm gonna go kind of um, traditional like you did with going with Dracula. I I like the Frankenstein movie that came out. And I can't remember the actual, I don't know if it was just called Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or what it was. It was in it. And that's the thing, I can't remember the people who was in it either. It, it's a, I'm a very, uh, when I look, when I watch movies, I, I really notice the color grade that they're using. Yeah. You know, I look at it and go, wow, that's, that, that grading looks really good, you know, and it just has an atmosphere to it right off the bat. You know, like, uh, Darkest Hour, I think is what it's called, uh, with Gary Oldman in it. He plays uh, Winston Churchill. I ain't seen that. I, I love the atmosphere in that. You know, just the, the color grading. The acting is great. Don't get me wrong. Acting acting stands alone. It, it could have been done with a video recorder or, or an iPhone and, and probably looked 
the acting would have been just great. But the the period stuff too, you know, like the the carriages, uh, old England looking places, you know, like your case with Dracula, old uh, Transylvania, mm-hmm. um, that kind of stuff really sells a movie to me. So right. location looks and things. Um, what really puts me off those when the audio is so terrible that the the dialogue is missed for the sake of blasting the music or over, yeah. overdoing the special effects. I hate that. You know, I still, I would like to have a little bit more compression where they all go together a little bit better, but I'm being nitpicky. I, I wish I could remember that, that Frankenstein movie though. Um, it's like he became self-aware. I mean, I, I know it's in the book that way to you, but he, he becomes self-aware of being human and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, if I think about it, I'll add it to the show notes as well so people can go in and see. That's the movie we were talking about. But uh, that's one of them. I really like the Nightmare on Elm Street series a lot. I like the first three a lot. Yeah. Um, it kind of takes me back to the 80s. Oh, yeah. You know, and as a kid, going to the movie theater with my friends and, and watching those. And um, special effects was kind of neat. The, the makeup was neat. I like the concept of it. You know, the dream part of it. You know, it's like, oh, don't fall asleep because this is going to happen. You right. Know? Um, so, man, I think that's good for this this time of year. It's one of those ones that you should go back and look at. Um, again, we didn't, I didn't, I didn't prepare. You don't, you don't prepare anytime, so it doesn't matter. But <laughs> <laughs> I didn't prepare well enough, but I watched a, a documentary on the last blockbuster. Uh, you know, the video recording or the videotape store. You oh, can go oh into, yeah. Uh, I, I know I haven't seen that, but I've seen snippets of it. I yeah. know what you're talking about. Um, I'm going to say his name's Kevin James. It's not Kevin James. Help me. He's one of the Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith. Thank you. He mentioned a gory movie that I want to see, so I'm going to have to go back and watch it. What's it called? That's what I'm saying. I'm going to have to go back and watch it and see what he said because I done forgot it. I'm telling you, I'm getting, I'm getting my brain. I'm getting old, man. I just need some of that B12. Like I gotta take, brother. I get plenty of B vitamins in the Guinness. You'd think that'd be enough. Dead air, Mike. Love it. <laughs> so there you have it. We are running this a l- maybe a little bit short. I'll probably edit quite a bit of this out. I gotta edit the uh, the part where I beat the hell out of my microphone a couple times. Well, I think people want to yeah. hear. Yeah, maybe. Now you got if you edit that, now you got to edit that part. Hmm. I do. I, I leave I leave just enough in so they know what's going on, but I condense it so there's not so much dead air. Your dead air, Mike. There's so much dead air in this one that we're probably only going to have a 10-minute episode. <laughs> well, it's fall, the day's getting shorter, so mm. so is my brain power. Do you have anything to add? Yes, I do, Mike. Thank you. Funny you say that. Yeah. <laughs> Dead air, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just, it's, uh, like I said, Star Show, it, it was nice to, to um, post COVID to, to be out and, uh, you know, post the first wave of COVID. I'm not trying to act yeah. like it's gone. You right, know right, right. But, um, not trying to make light of the situation. But it was, it's nice to uh, have a little bit of normalcy and 
and see a show and and have people attend it and you know these guys it's like one one of the dudes from uh, i think it was from after the barrel mentioned it. it's like you know this is what we do for a living and we haven't been out here for two years and you know that affects the crew it affects the the people they have that 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 uh work the merch tables it affects the bar that they're playing at and it affects the um affects the uh you know the waitresses and the bartenders and the club owners and um yeah it's about art but it takes a big machine to 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 bring this stuff to us and uh you know when it when it was away it uh you really realize how much you miss just being able to go out and go to a show and yeah and just just as a just speaking strictly as as a lover of music and a lover of art it, it was just nice to nice to see that again nice to be part of that as a musician it's still affecting me my drummer's out for a few months for having uh he tore his bicep so, or his tricep. So I have one gig in 18 months and it's yeah. uh, probably do some solo performances on the corner. Yeah, at least it'd be something. He's going to have a lot of therapy, physical therapy after this too to yeah. kind of get back to it. He thinks he can play the box. So we might, we might do some MG flash uh, acoustic stuff. So we'll see, but that'd be cool. Regardless though, it's uh, as much as I miss it as a, as a musician, just as a music lover, it was just it was nice to see a metal show, and I got to see two good shows this this month, basically, and uh, it just felt a little bit normal. That Megadeth show had been postponed twice. Yeah, it's almost right. two two years since I got the tickets. I forgot about that. I actually could have been to that show. Could have went to that show. Um, it was one of our shutdown days, and. Um, I took the night off. Why I, didn't you go? I, I didn't know I was going to get the night off until that Friday before. I don't know if it sold out or not. It looked pretty full. It might have. Yeah. But. I thought about it. Thought about it real hard. but You could have rode with us. Yeah. It was kind of late. You would have missed Tate Breed because Ryan had to have a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. Yeah. I forgot Hate Breed was going to be there. I mean, we talked about that. And I was kind of anxious. Trivium had the best sound of the night. The Megadeth and uh, Lamb of God, their uh, vocals was a little bit uh, buried, I thought, which was weird. But overall, it was a great show. And it was really, it, it was nice. The stage setups was really awesome. The Megadeth had like these big vertical screens yeah. in between the amps. And then they would all, it's kind of hard to explain, but just figure, I don't know, just a row of, TVs that will all look continuous. You know, it looked like yeah, one big screen. Yeah. And maybe, the amps maybe were behind about, it. Huh? The amps were behind those. And beside screens. it, like okay. they were in between. Oh, okay. Between them. And then they had uh, Vic Rattlehead come out. And then they had a big robot Vic Rattlehead that came out. Mm -hmm. I mean, they really they put some effort into the show, which I always appreciate. Lamb of God. Very Iron Maiden esque. Uh, yeah, yeah, but that's like, I mean, that's that's like calling a. VW Bug is, is uh, you know, Porsche-esque in a way. There's some similarities there. <laughs> well, but, you know what I'm saying. It's, yeah. You know, but Vic that, Rattlehead and Eddie. Right. Yeah. They got their thing, but, man, yeah. I mean, when I saw Maiden a couple of years ago, every song had a different set change. It was fucking badass, man. Yeah. I never seen nothing like it. 
Those guys are crazy. But Lamb, Lamb had uh, all this pyro and these flames to go up. And you could, you know, we weren't real far away, but we weren't real close either. And you could feel the heat on your face when they would yeah. go up. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like Kiss's pyro where it's just, you know, all bam, and you got flames. This was like, they would go up and it would light the stage. And it was just like, like it was really cool and thought out. And wow. I mean, it, it was shooting up 15 feet in the air. And I mean, they wow. were probably, the flames were probably two foot around. I mean, it was pretty wild, but I mean, it was really cool. They put some effort into their stage show and the lights. And I mean, it meant something. It wasn't just yeah. going up there. So that was the, uh, that was the arena that I first saw Lamb of God back in 2012. Really? Um, well, we weren't in an arena. We were at the PNC Pavilion. It's outside. Well, well that's what I mean, out, outside. It was uh, a, I'm just making sure. It, they held it in the bigger part, right? Is Not, there a smaller part? Yeah, there's there's a couple of small stages that hold about 5,000. Oh. The, main, the main stage hold, I want to say, around 20. No, it's it it's, said that this is uh, 7,100. Kind of looks like, kind of looks like a bigger version of the LC outside. I'm confused. Maybe it's not the same place. Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati. PNC at, at, at Riverbend is what yeah, they call it now. Right beside the the, the amusement park. park. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that held 20,000 people total. I don't know. Not That's, according to the internet, but it wasn't. It didn't look like that much there. But I photographed Motley Crue there, and uh, they required us to shoot from the uh, soundboard. Fun story on that. No, and we'll wrap this up. I know. Uh, yeah, if, well, if I want to hear it. We didn't know that it was going to be from the soundboard. Luckily, I packed lenses capable of reaching out that far. And for everybody who says, oh, wow, it must be nice to get a, a pass, you know, I'm going to just bring this up. Red, white, red, white, and crew is the uh, corporation that handles Motley Crue's legal stuff, right? It's their business. So they make you sign a, a form, and at least this time they did. They, they had you sign a form that you won't use the photos for anything but the journalism that you're there to do and that you won't try to sell them or do other things with them. You, you only have the right to use it. So I knew they weren't going to do anything of the day of the show, and it was just a formality. So I went through, and I'm, I scratched shit out. Nah, I ain't doing that. Yeah, fuck you. I kept writing shit on there. <laughs> I'm not doing that. If I want to sell a picture that I took, I'm selling it. Blah, 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 blah. They never contacted me after the fact. So maybe I can use them. I don't know. Maybe they thought that was great. Maybe they thought this this guy's a dick. I don't know. I don't care. I thought it was hard to get the pass. You know, there were there were some serious photographers. The guy from the AP was there, Associated Press, and he had he had all kinds of gear, really nice stuff, you know. And then there was just one guy, just one guy that showed up in the media room and <laughs> he had a, I'm not making fun of it or anything like that, but he had a Nikon cool picks, just a, a standard, you know, pocket camera. And we're standing there at the state or at the soundboard. And he looks over at me and goes, they said no flash. It's like, yeah, first three songs, no flash. It's kind of a general rule. He goes, uh, how do I turn the flash off on this? I'm thinking to myself, how did you get a pass? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that flash. I have no idea how you got the pass. Because, I mean, I, I had to work at it, you know. And there were some big guns there, really. I mean, big, I mean, serious photographers. 
and uh, he looked like Rick James, <laughs> right? <laughs> Look, I mean, literally looked just like Rick James. Had a great big vest on, his chest and belly were showing, and you know, and he said, "Why well, I run a I run a, a blog," and I was like, "Wow, that's that's interesting." So if you run a blog and you want to shoot bands and things, give it a try. Find out who their media people are and see if you can get a pass. Well, did you help him get the flash off? I did. I really, I, I was concerned about him for like 30 seconds on if he could even reach the stage, you know, with that camera. And, you know, the shots, you know what I'm saying, right? Oh, yeah. You're like trying to use your cell phone to get a, a shot of the stage. Now, this was back in 2016, 14, somewhere in that yeah, range. Yeah, that camera was probably three megapixels. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, mine mine was 12. The camera I was using in those, in those days, it was a, a full-frame Nikon camera, D. D300 was the one I was using then, but uh, like I say, fortunately, I had my 70 to 200 with me, and I had a, um, a 200 millimeter uh, prime that I could use, and so, I mean, that, that was that was pretty much good enough. I mean, I was able to do some things with it, but it just, it blew my mind, so I had to share that, because it's it just, it I've still never heard, I've never heard that before. That's pretty good. And it, it wasn't, you know, it was a good concert, but... Um, now, I know he had to go back to the media room after the three songs. He was only allowed to do that. Mine included a, a review ticket. So they, I walked down to the first guy that, you know how they set people up different yeah. places and they look at your ticket, make sure you can keep going forward. So I get down to the first guy. I was like, where's this seat? Oh, you got to go up front. Okay. So I walked to the next guy. I oh, a little further up front. Hmm, okay. I was expecting to be in the back so I could just watch the show and write about it. Right. So I, I got my cell phone there. It was probably a iPhone 4, maybe. I don't know what, it, what I had then, but old, right? And I get up there, front row, right behind the pit. I'm thinking to myself, this is a really good ticket for me to just review the show. And it was just me and the Associated Press guy, the guy with all the gear. That was it. And, of course, all the other people. But, right. But out of, the, out of the, the press people. So I get up there, and a the guy looks at me. He goes, Dude, you missed the whole fucking show, man. You missed the whole show. Yeah, he said he was just yelling at me when I got there. Because it was like the fourth or fifth song by the time. Because we weren't allowed to take our gear. So once the three songs were over, we had to take the gear back to the media room, leave it, which was annoying to me because I didn't know, you know, somebody could walk off with my bag. They they promised me nobody would. But then they escorted us back down and said, there you go. This this guy who bought a ticket, he was a fan, was just giving me all shits of, kinds of hell. For, for missing the first five songs, so he thought. I said, no, I was back here taking pictures at the soundboard the first three. So I got to see the first three, and I was running my gear around. I said, don't worry about it, man, you know. And then he was like had this dumbfounded look on his face. And as the show's going on, I'm taking notes with my phone. So I'm typing stuff in, you know, like the song list and <laughs> things like that, that I know that I can write about. And he's constantly... Staring at me, like not enjoying the show, but staring at me like he wanted to kick my ass because I was on my phone. And it, it finally came out. They were doing Home Sweet Home. Tommy comes out, starts playing the piano, and the guy goes, dude, you're missing the whole show because you're playing on your phone. And I held up my pass. It was down by my belt loop. I held it up. I go, I'm only here to report about it. I've seen them before. I like them. I do. But really, I know these songs. <laughs> I'm just, I'm here to report. I got to take notes because I have a job to do. 
I said, watch the show, man. You're missing it because you're worried about me. Right. You know? <laughs> so, it was it was so bizarre. Well, I hate Vince Neil. I, I don't I, like you on record saying that. So. Yeah, I have more to that, but I don't want to put it on record on the show. So uh, we'll talk about it after. I want to go on record that Vince Neil should be in jail. Yeah. Prison for the rest of his life. Yeah, I think so. I don't like him. I, I never really did. And now now his singing is terrible. Nikki Six is cooler. Yeah. Tommy Lee's a badass drum. Yeah. Machine Gun Kelly's not a very good Tommy Lee. <laughs> right. Uh, Damn, there's all kinds of stuff I that's coming to my head now that we should have talked about before. Well, you fucked up. You know, there there was a uh, a guy in the Netherlands, I think it was, that uh, had a contract with a gallery, the, the Modern Museum of Art over there. They they were like, you, we want you to get some paintings done for us. And uh, he said, okay, I'll do it. They paid him $84,000 for these paintings, like two of them. He shows up with a couple of empty frames. He says, there you go. That's my art. He already had the money. And he titled them, Take Your Money and Run. <laughs> I mean, kudos to him for that. But it's it's kind of, it's the state of the art world, isn't it? It's like, why in the fuck? It's like the white canvas thing I was telling you about in one of those other episodes. I saw some more about that too, but at least that's something tangible. Yeah, a frame that he probably bought. He clearly that's didn't make it. That's I don't, I'm not, you know. The white, the white painting guy, that's one thing, but that guy, that other guy needs to beat up. Yeah. Yeah, it's awful. I almost want, I almost want to contact the museum and say, hey, you give me $84,000 and I'll make you a real painting. Please. I'll do it for forty. It won't look good, but I will do it. <laughs> be, be well, it's the modern. Well, <laughs> I don't. Want, I'm going to offend somebody I know listening, but it's the modern museum of art. It doesn't have to look good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even lit yet. This is not good. What is it? Just being outside. I don't yeah. Know. All right. That's all I got, Paul. Wonderful having you out here today. It was. We got to. We got to cool it. This is. Uh, we're rambling a lot, and I love it. Nothing wrong with that. No. Pub style drinking show. Yeah, pub style drinking show. <laughs> Where we talk about art and everything else. I'm going to have one last drink of this, and then I'm going to go to All a Mexican right. restaurant and eat a taco. Oh, really? A taco. Okay. I wish you would have had more of that cigar, because you really didn't get well, anything. I, my, I had as much as I was comfortable doing. My peer pressure wasn't good enough, clearly. All I'll right. take it home with me and smoke it someday if you, if you want me to. Don't do that. It'll be, it'll be awful. It'll taste awful. Why will it taste awful? Because when you relight them and stuff, they just don't.